This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time... This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Brock Richardson. What's going on? It's Friday. It's another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson. At least the uh, marquee didn't lie to you this week. And I'm joined by uh, Cam Jenkins. Cam, how are you? Uh, top of the afternoon to you, Brock. I'm doing uh, pretty good this week. You know, it's uh, Ontario's uh, doing a little bit better than they were last week, so uh, things are looking up in Ontario. <laughs> yes, I would agree with you 100%. And there's uh, some people in my world that have gotten their vaccine and getting it, so uh, things are looking up. And I am hoping, I am hoping by the summertime that I can indulge in my favorite place in Ontario and that would be Niagara Falls. My fingers are crossed for late summer, but we'll see how that goes. I I do have some hope though. And also joining us is Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Brock. It is a bright sunny day and as Cam so eloquently alluded to, things in Ontario are improving, albeit at the speed of an iceberg, but uh, they are improving. (laughs) I uh, I myself have had my vaccine. I, I was lucky enough to get a Moderna vaccine, so very excited to uh, start that process and looking forward to three or four months from now when I can get the second one and hopefully have everything be A-OK. Yes, absolutely. I agree. You were going to tell us what's going on in the the world of soccer because you kind of delve into what's going on in soccer. So do you want to fill us in a little bit? Sure. I'm not the biggest soccer fan, I will admit that. Um, But we had some interesting news this week, which I know we don't necessarily have a lot of time to cover, but it was on the formation of a European Super League. And so basically you had 10, uh, sorry, 20 teams potentially who were going to get involved in this thing. Um, ultimately a great big cash grab. And as soon as word got out that this was in the formation stages and might happen, you had governing bodies for soccer, you had uh, governments, you had players, you even had fans coming out against it. And so almost as fast as the news came out that it was going to happen, it has been, uh, been basically scuttled, but you had some pretty major teams, everything from like Arsenal and some of those big uh, big English teams, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, those type of teams. You had teams like AC Milan in Italy. You had teams like, uh, like Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, and Real Madrid. And most of those teams now, with the exception of the Spanish teams, have uh, have pulled the plug after public pressure. So it's been really interesting to watch the rise and fall, shall we say, of uh, of the Super League. 
Yes, is it was. this just the um, like the fans wanting to go with the way it always has been and the way they like it, and they just don't want change? That's entirely possible. Um, it it f- seems to me, based on the the research I've done on it, that ultimately what this was was some of these larger teams not necessarily wanting to play some of the smaller teams and more than that, wanting to keep more of the uh, pot of gold, so to speak, to themselves. And so you had just different people and different uh, organizations lining up basically to, uh, to, to kind of put the, the kibosh on it, so to speak. It, it, if you do a little bit of, of research into it, what you what you find in my opinion is that it was basically it was a cash grab it was uh teams wanting more of the pie so to speak and it is all about the almighty dollar at the end of the day and this is one of those scenarios let's uh touch on our twitter poll questions the one from last week went as follows are you happy with what your team did at the nhl trade deadline 77 percent of you said yes 23% of you said no. This week's question is, despite all the injuries the Toronto Blue Jays have faced, are you happy with their current record? Choices are simple, yes or no. Let's get into this week's headlines. San Jose Ford Patrick Marleau put himself in the NHL record book this week when he stepped on the ice in Vegas. Mark. Marlowe skated in 1,768th career game to break Gordie Howe's record. Marlowe says, although his team lost, it was a special night. And I think that Marlowe, it's fantastic that he reached that many games. However, kind of what baffles me is is that um, they don't have Howe's additional 419 games that he played with the World Hockey Association. If you look at the National Basketball League when they merged with the Basketball Association of America or the American Football League merging with the NFL, they all put their I'll cue you. statistics uh, together. So I don't understand why how doesn't still have the most games played. We're going to hear from uh, Patrick Marlowe himself on what he felt with this accomplishment. A roller coaster ride, not knowing what to expect and how things are going to all play out, and you know that there's a game that needs to be played as well. So uh, it was—I'll uh, never forget it. Got to thank the the Golden Knights organization for um, you know giving the the family a suite to to sit in and enjoy the game. Um, you know their their fans um, for all the, the cheering and, and support that they showed. There's a lot of Sharks fans out there too, so it was uh, very very humbling and um, very grateful. The Ontario Hockey League has cancelled its season due to COVID-19. Let's hear a little more. The decision means the OHL will be the only one of Canada's three major junior hockey leagues not to hold a 2020-21 season. The league says it reached an agreement on a return-to-play plan with the Ontario government this month. However, the OHL says the recently extended stay-at-home order, along with increasing cases of COVID-19 across the province, made it impossible to have a season. The national championship, the Memorial Cup, also has been cancelled. Greg Strong, the Canadian Press. I don't think this comes as a surprise at all. 
I think for me, what does come as a surprise is that the QMJHL is the only league that is continuing with the playoffs as the Western Hockey League announced this week that it would not go ahead with its playoff games after the regular season is finished. Toronto forward Zach Hyman is expected to miss at least two weeks with a sprained MCL after a knee-on-knee hit delivered by Vancouver Canucks defenseman Alex Adler. Adler would later be suspended for two games. In addition, Montreal goaltender Carey Price has been placed on concussion protocol after taking a hit to the head in a game against Edmonton earlier this week. These are hits we cannot have in our game any longer. Whether the NHL has recognized the concussion link necessarily, I'm not so concerned about. There's enough science out there that you can't argue with what can happen to someone's career when these kind of hits are levied. Edler had to know how important Hyman was to the Toronto Maple Leafs. He had to know what he was doing when he stuck that leg out. You don't stick your leg out without knowing the consequences. You can ruin a guy's career as a result of a hit like that. It's absolutely inexcusable. He's also been suspended for this before, not only in the NHL, but also at a world championship. As for Carey Price, I feel bad for the guy. No one should have to take a hit to the head like that. There's just, there's too much damage that can be done. We need to end these kind of hits. Coming up next, we're going to speak with Paralympic swimmer Danielle Doris, who comes to us from Moncton, New Brunswick. She was the youngest athlete to ever don the Canadian Maple Leaf on her back. We'll find out about that and much more coming up right after the break. Stay with us. six ways to get in touch with the neutral zone on twitter number one at ami audio number two at neutral zone br number three at neutral zone brett number four at neutral zone cam j number five at cp buchanan 13 and number six at j watson 200 now get out there and tweet one for the giver Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Vincent, joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. So we're going to flip things around a little bit, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about para-sports. And we're going to try something a little different that we've not done before. And this is in preparation for the summer games um, in Tokyo Coming up, and we're going to give you a heads up in some of the sports you can uh, follow. Having said that, this week we're going to start with the sport of goalball, and Josh is going to lead us off and take us through the history. Absolutely. The sport of goalball was developed as a rehab activity for injured soldiers returning from World War II. Since then, it has actually spread around the world and is now played in more than 100 countries. It was introduced 
as a demonstration event at a Games in Toronto in 1976, then was added to the Paralympic program as a full medal sport four years later in Arnhem. There's a women's competition, which first was featured at the New York and the Stoke Mandeville 1984 Games. And so with the classification, goalball is divided up into classes that are B1 through B3. And every athlete has to be completely blind in some way. So if you do have some vision, you would have a covering over your eyes. And this promotes inclusive uh, play in the sport. And I'm actually going to talk to uh, how it's played. So teams have up to six players, uh, but only three are on the court at a time. So the aim is to score by rolling the ball at a speed into the opposition's goal, while the other team attempts to block the ball with their bodies. Uh, after a ball is thrown, uh, the defending players, they have uh, 10 seconds to throw the ball back um, after one of them touches it. Now, the team that scores the most goals is the winner. Uh, the games, they are divided into two halves, 12 minutes each. And a golden goal rule is if a game enters overtime, which is two three-minute halves, if the score is still even at the end of the overtime, each throw will decide the winner. Spectators, they must be quiet during the play so that the players can hear the ball and each other. And the ball, they do have... Um, uh, bells uh, within the ball as well. So that's how the athletes can, uh, another way that the athletes can hear where the ball is going. Um, now the spectators, they are free to cheer once a goal is scored. Having said that, and as Cam mentioned, we'll get into the playing field and the equipment. So the court is 18 meters long and 9 meters wide. There is a goal at each end, which spans the entire length of the court and is 1.3 meters high. And as Cam mentioned, the team that scores the most goals is the winner. The ball itself is made of a hard rubber and actually has holes in it that allow those bells that Cam mentioned to be heard from inside the ball as the ball moves. So the players react to the sound of the ball and do their best to, to block the, the shot from the opposing team and then score on the opposing team's net. So I wanted to give you a little bit of uh, background on Paralympic Games and some of the results that would have happened at the most recent games in uh, 2016. And so for goalball specifically, on the men's side, Lithuania got first place, United States got second place, Brazil got third place. Canada on the men's side lost to Lithuania in the quarterfinals. On the women's side, you see uh, Turkey got first place, China got second place, and United States got third place and same thing for the women the canadian women lost in the quarterfinal against lithuania so clearly gentlemen lithuania is a powerhouse in both sports i wanted to ask you guys what intrigues you about this sport as we've 
done some digging into it. Cam, start with you. Yeah, what really intrigues me is uh, just the idea of the ball and having the bells um, inside the ball and um, just the creativity to come up with a game like this uh, so uh, the people that are partially blind or blind can play that game. Um, And being blindfolded also, uh, you would think, well, why do you need to blindfold uh, people if they're already blind? Um, But most blind people, from my understanding, um, they're only partially blind, so they would still be able to see the ball um, if they didn't have a mask on. So that was very intriguing to me as well, uh, learning uh, a little bit more about, um, you know, the partially blind and the blind um, um, people that, yeah, that, that to me was the most interesting part. Josh? For me, I've was lucky enough I had a chance to go and watch a few matches back when we hosted the 2015 Para Pan Am Games. And so the the senses that are required other than sight are, are really intriguing to me because you have to be able to listen and react quite quickly in order to, to make a save or, or to stop the ball. And when somebody told me that, you know, the crowd goes absolutely silent, I, I, I kind of laughed because I thought you never get a crowd to be completely silent. But I went and I witnessed these matches and people do. The entire crowd goes absolutely dead silent. You could hear a pin drop in that arena and it was not a small arena. Yeah, I'm uh, right there with you. I went to see the event in uh, Guadalajara at the Pan, uh, the Para Pan Am Games. And that was the sport that stood out to me. And I thought, okay, I really have to um, check this out because I, I'm unaware of it. I, I never had seen it live. I had heard about it, but I'd never seen it live. And you're right, like the crowd just goes silent and it's totally a respectful silence. I think that's the important piece to label here is that it's it's not a silence just because someone's telling you to, to, to be quiet. It's a, It's a silence in the sense of, okay, I've been told to do this, but I'm intrigued what's going to happen next. And the other thing that stood out to me was the speed at which these balls are being rolled down at to the other end and the three players having to stop it like i am sure and i know some goalball players who have confirmed this but i am sure that there are some some bruises at the end of a game because that ball doesn't come in gently guys it it comes in very heavily and very quickly and it comes on you at at, at a rate of speed that your timing and your reaction speed has to be that much quicker because if it it's not, that ball is going in the back of the net. Oh, Would absolutely. A... And people just, just people just throw themselves at these these balls as they're coming by. It's it's <laughs> absolutely amazing to watch. It's 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 absolutely incredible for a sighted person like myself to to witness. Like these these guys are amazing athletes. 
Yeah. yeah, like when I was in public school, and you know, you have one class, of the, half of the class on one side of the gym, and you have the other class on the other half, and then you have those balls, and I forget what they called it, but like you threw it at the person, if you hit them, then you had to leave, and dodge I remember ball. how, dodgeball, yeah, dodgeball, so I remember playing dodgeball, and how much that could hurt, I can only imagine how much more this would hurt if you get hit by that ball. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's a sport that when I've seen it, uh, demonstrated, I, I sit there and think, I am so glad that my disability doesn't allow me to even attempt this <laughs> because I'm a big wuss folks. Like if a ball <laughs> comes at me with that level of speed, I'm getting out of the way, let alone, <laughs> let alone stopping it. And so for those people that are daring enough to, you know, step in front of a moving ball, I, I commend you because I wouldn't do it. Is this a sport that you would attempt, Cameron? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to organize an AMI goalball uh, tournament. <laughs> and Brock, you're going to be part of it. So, <laughs> yes, you will be, ta- be taking part in it. And you will feel like what it is to be a goalball player. Oh, goodness. I I would try it as well, but... I mean, full disclosure for our audience here, Cam and I are both either goaltenders or former goaltenders in uh, in sledge hockey. So we've had our fair share of hits with hard objects. So I don't think the idea of a ball hitting us probably scares us as much as it maybe should. <laughs> no, not at all. I've had enough hits to the head where I just don't know what's good for me anymore. So Exactly, exactly. We We had a listener that just messaged into the show who said, Quote, you are definitely, capital letters, a wuss. There's no question about that. So I, I, I appreciate the support of, of my wussness, but uh, it's, it's totally true. And I, I will, I'll referee, but I don't know if I'm diving in front of dead ball there, Mr. Jenkins. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, one of the sports at the uh, Tokyo Paralympic Games. And we're going to do this uh, periodically uh, between now and uh, the games so that you can get up to speed as to uh, what sports you can be uh, watching for. And we're going to have Scott Russell, who is a Paralympic aficionado broadcaster. He's going to join us this week or next week, pardon me, and then closer to the game. So you're going to, we're going to do this whole big uh, thing on Paralympic sports. And we decided to lead it off today with Gobel. On that note, we're going to take a break. We'll continue the sports discussion on the other side. Hang in with us. We'll be right back. a message for the neutral zone call now 1-866-509-4545 and don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air let's get ready to leave a voicemail (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm Brock Christensen, joined by Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. And for those of you out there that said, wait, after the first segment, they previewed Danielle Doris, and she didn't appear. Uh, we're still doing our best to uh, work things out, but uh, we're, we'll get her on either in this show or a future one. Guys, I thought we would start this segment by discussing the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Their current record is 10 uh, losses and 8 wins. How would you categorize that record given all the injuries? Josh, start with you. Remarkable. Um, Quite honestly, it feels like this bullpen and this starting rotation are being held together with bubblegum and duct tape. Um, We've we've had 10 different pitchers start a game, as far as I'm aware, and we've had different people in the bullpen. We've had bullpen games, which will we'll get me going on that in a minute. Uh, we, we've had openers, which, again, that's, that's something I could go an entire segment on probably, but... Uh, it's it's just been remarkable how they've managed to pull off eight wins given all of the struggles they've gone through, including missing their leadoff man in George Springer, who was our big free agent acquisition. Yeah. You know, I've been given uh, the manager, Mr. Montoyo, a rough uh, go. And I think right now so. Hold on. Stop right there. Are you going mm-hmm. to give him some some praise right now <laughs> well a little bit and then Ooh. uh i'll let you wow. know uh i don't know the good the bad and the ugly as uh, what that uh, clint eastwood movie mm-hmm. so in my opinion the good is that montoyo has been doing very well with the bullpen and the usage um you know just as early as this uh, past series with boston uh, Anthony Castro and Ryan Barucki, uh they did wonderful, and they're having a pretty good season in the uh, bullpen. Um, and I think another good thing uh, that's really happening is uh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Um, he's walking more than he ever has. He's not striking out as much, and he's got an on-base percentage of 513. Um, so, you know, that's some really good things that are happening. Uh, and then this is where... I go back to Montoyo and where he needs to improve on is that the offense is dried up at the end of the day. And in the Boston series, when you had a couple of guys on and runs are very hard to come by, you have to make sure that you manufacture runs because they're hard to come by. And so what do you do when you want to manufacture runs? You move runners over by bunting, and they're doing none of that whatsoever. And because that's Montoya's call. Why? And why can't they? We we watched a game last week, Cam, where they went up. They told it was either Palacios or uh, who's the other outfielder, uh, young guy. Anyway, uh, they they told. They, they put the, the the squeeze play on. They wanted to move the runner. Guy gets two strikes on him, and then they take the bunt off because you don't bunt on a third strike or you're out. And what does he do? 
he decides on his own to bunt and he bunts it foul. Like if your players don't learn how to bunt, how can you bunt? And that's where they have to be able to practice that and be able to do that bunting. And in the Boston game, they didn't do the bunt, the the game that I was watching, and it was just a pop fly to center field and the runners were not moved over. So even if you're not bunting, even if you can hit the ball to uh, the first base side and get a ground ball, because then you're also going to be able to move the runners over at the end of the day. So I think uh, that's one of the things where Montoyo, he really needs to, his in-game, in-gamesmanship has to be better. And then also, um, you know, let's talk about Biggio, because at the end of the day, he's been playing some third base and he's been making a lot of errors. You can't keep putting him there and runs are coming in because of that. And Biggio's bat is very valuable. I understand that. However, you've got to put him in a different position and put somebody else at third base that isn't going to make those errors. Can I can I give Montoyo the credit in the sense that Marcus Simeon wasn't doing anything, anything on the, at the leadoff position, like batting less than a milk percentage, and <laughs> I mean we mo- we saw Montoyo go okay. This can no longer happen. We need to put Biggio at the top of the order, which everyone can acknowledge that there's going to be a a one George Springer at the top of that order, which is going to lengthen it even further. But you can't. This is where I agree with Josh. If a team cannot bunt, and I think you were referring to Josh Guriel Jr., who who just completely gaffed on the that they tried um it, but it if was a team, Pal- yeah it was it Palacios. was at least Palacio and someone else uh, yeah that did it but yeah. if a team can't bunt how often do you go to that same well and say even even if cam that is the smart thing to do how often can you go to the well and afford a strikeout on a flipping bunt like can't but that's what that. practice is for and batting practice is for is to get better at that. And that's one example where they did try to bunt. But there hasn't been a lot of times where they have been trying to bunt. And then if you want to talk about production, let's talk about Danny Jansen. He went 0 for 6 in that Boston series. And he's only had two hits dating back to early April. So why aren't we putting Alejandro Kirk in there, who has a much better batting average over that period of time? These are the things that Montoyo needs to do in order for the Jays to be better. What do you? But what do you pay a catcher to do in 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 Major League Baseball? Yeah, I, okay, you want a little bit of production, but you pay Danny Jansen to. Uh, catch the baseball and call games. And to me, he's way more valuable as a catcher versus the, oh, well, he's not hitting well. Because I think Alejandro Kirk, who can be a guy who comes off the bench and pinch hit, is going to come around to, to better hits. I don't think you're expecting a lot from Danny Jensen, at least offensively. Can, uh, Josh, you're looking I- for more than two hits, though. And that's all he has is two hits. You need more production than that. 
Yeah, and, but what would be, what would be the satisfactory like in your mind? What would be the satisfactory? Okay, if he had X number of hits, when are you satisfied then? Okay, well, as an example, Kirk, who I think is a good catcher defensively, he's now five for fifteen, which is a thirty-three thirty-three batting average over the last seven games. And like I had mentioned, Danny Jansen, I keep going back to it. He only has two hits and that's dating back to early April. That That's, that's not good enough. And Kirk would be a better option there, especially when Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is basically the only one doing well with the offense. You need some more people to get more offense in there. And Kirk would do a fine job catching in my opinion. Okay, Josh. In, interesting. Um, I, I agree with you, Brock, that I, I do think Jansen is a superior defensive catcher. But I also do understand Cam's point about production. Personally, I don't think you can expect the guy to be a three thirty three batting average. Nobody hits 300 in this league anymore. But... Do I expect 200, 250? Sure. Sure. I, I think that's more reasonable. Having said that, it's also April. And some guys are notoriously slow starters. Now, if he's still doing this in two weeks and we're, we're in the beginning of May or even mid-May, Absolutely, we've got a problem, and Alejandro Kirk needs to be there. But I just think it's a bit early to be taking out our quote-unquote number one catcher. Okay, and this is where I will uh, start the conversation on the openers. Oh, dear. Pitchers. Because Trent Thornton started, quote-unquote, Game one against the Boston Red Sox was pitching incredibly, was pitching Mm -hmm. incredibly, no runs, no hits, got through three innings, Charlie Montoyo makes a switch. And I understand the argument of, okay, but he cannot go, he cannot go too far because he's primarily a bullpen guy, but he could have pitched a little bit longer than what Charlie and his staff allowed him to do. Because this is where, and we've talked about this on the show at nauseum, the Toronto Blue Jays are so analytic, it's almost sick. Because they go out there and they say, uh, you have X number of pitchers as as a bullpen guy, and that's it. And then once we get there... Everyone just goes, oh, that's the pitches. Here we go. Take him out of the game. Don't worry about the score. And then what happened when he left? The game blew up. And I'm not saying that Trent Thornton should have had to go seven innings because that's not possible. But let him get into a bit of trouble before we decide, okay, that's the end of his run. Because that, to me, was part of the reason why the Toronto Blue Jays did not take both games because the Toronto Blue Jays staff were way too stuck on analytics. And I think that's going to get them in trouble. Josh, I know you have a lot to say on the openers piece. 
the concept of an opener just just does not make sense to me. It does not compute. <laughs> I just explain to me the point. Why do we not have five viable starting pitchers? I can think of all but one other team in the league that, to my knowledge, has five starting pitchers. And I understand there have been injuries and things have happened and all of that. Okay, fine. But this was started by Charlie's former team, the the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, where they didn't feel confident in all of their starters and so they decided that we're going to have this this opener because we can't have our starting pitcher in that spot go twice through a lineup. Why not? The way pitchers learn to pitch instead of throw, in my opinion, is by working into trouble and out of trouble. When I went to get my vaccine on Sunday, I was listening to the ball game in the uh, in the car on the radio. And look at Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray was put out there and it sounded from from my seat as if he was told, "Guess what, Robbie? You're throwing 100 pitches and I don't care what the score is, you're staying there until you throw 100 pitches." He wasn't great but he figured it out and it was still zero zero by the time he left. Yes. So, and, and I mean, a hundred pitches is, is another whole ball of wax there because I I don't ever remember Jack Morris or Dave Steeb or Doyle Alexander stopping at a hundred pitches. They pitched until you pried the ball out of their hands. When, once they took the, the ball it was like, this is my game. Stay out of my way. That's the attitude. Fight case, that, Roy Holiday. Exactly. Every five yeah. days, you knew you were getting a quality start from Roy Holiday because that's what he did. He took the ball and he said, this is mine. I will give it to you when I'm ready. Yeah. We just we, we seem to have a league these days that's all about throwing and not pitching. It's all about... How high can you hit on the radar gun? Can you hit 100? Can you hit 95? It's like if you throw 90 miles an hour anymore, you're considered below average. Like I remember the days of Jamie Moyer where he got by on a changeup that went about 78 miles an hour. We saw it with, uh, with Tommy Malone the other day. Tommy Malone gets people out with an 85-mile-an-hour fastball because he has a changeup that just goes so slow, people are swinging at it three times without even trying. It's like watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. Cameron, any thoughts on the opener? Um, well, with the opener, I wonder as well that, you know, with spring training and they have time to be able to stretch their arms and kind of get used to throwing, I wonder by the time opening day comes around, uh, whether or not they're kind of uh, totally ready to go. Um, and if they still need a certain amount of pitches uh, to not go over, to keep stretching themselves out and to be better. And at the end of the day, you know, they have so much 
uh, in the way of numbers and analytics uh, to show when, okay, by the time that this person throws this amount, then they start to go downhill and they're not able to get players out at the end, you know. So I think there needs to be a balance at the end of the day that, you know, if the person seems to be going really well uh, and, you know, if their pitch count is 50 or 60 in that particular case, yeah, let them go into the next inning to see what it's like. And then after the first or maybe, you know, second at-bats, if both get on, then maybe pull it. But, you know, I, I think that if there's a certain pitch count and they're doing really great, you should still be able to let them pitch, um, you know, unless – and I can't even think of a reason why you wouldn't unless there's some sort of injury or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, before we close off this segment, I just want to ask you both, who is the biggest surprise, uh, the New York Yankees or the fact that the Boston Red Sox are seemingly hitting balls as if they're beach balls? Josh, start with you. I think the surprise has to be the Yankees just because they've got Judge, they've got Stanton, they've got the pitching staff that they have and people expected them to do really well and they just aren't. Now, do I think they're going to remain where they are for the balance of the year? Absolutely not. A lot of these guys are guys who take time to, to heat up. And I mean, we all know what the weather here in Toronto has been for the last week. I can't imagine it's fun to play baseball when it's almost zero degrees, so th- their their prospects are going to improve, but I think they've been a disappointment for sure to start this season. Yeah, definitely the Yankees. They have to be the disappointment. They came in with huge expectations. Um, they're used to winning or almost winning every year, and so far they're not doing well at all. So, um, so you know, it's a long season, so I'm sure they're going to, you know, pull up their socks and be able to do it. But uh, right now, um, those socks that are being pulled up are by the Red Sox, and they're doing very well. Yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I think that this is going to um, turn around. I actually believe that it's going to be a a dog fight uh, through all the teams, with uh, with the exception of maybe the Tampa Bay Rays, but they always find a way to win. And yes, their record right now shows that they're, they're saying, why are you picking the Tampa Bay Rays? I just think everybody has an opportunity and we'll see what happens here moving forward. And the Toronto Blue Jays open a series against the Tampa Bay Rays uh, tonight and all through the weekend. So there's your Blue Jay roundup for this week. And uh, we'll of course touch on it throughout the year. Coming up after the break, we're going to explore a fine that the Toronto Raptors had and San Antonio Spurs and figure out why and whether we agree with it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back the neutral zone on ami audio i'm your host brock richardson joined by josh watson and cam jenkins 
Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot because we had Uh-oh. a little bit of uh, on-commercial break uh, discussion <laughs> about the opener. And you said, quote, the opener is what? Can you share that with the listener? Oh, you're going to make me say this on air. Fine. Opener e- is equivalent to I don't know how to pitch. Oh, shots fired. Shots fired. Cameron, is this an accurate uh, assessment of an opener? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know at the end of the day. Like, openers are just that, openers. And it's a way to kind of get the game going and kind of go from there. It's like the first day of the season. So, yeah, uh, I totally. planned on railing against the idea of a bullpen day as well. But then the Blue Jays went out and won using a bullpen day on Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the second game of the game against Boston was. So I'm like, well, apparently it can work sometimes, but (laughs) more, more often than not, not so much is my, uh, no, you might as well call it a guaranteed loss night. Yeah, totally. Because as one Bob McCowan used to say, a bullpen arm can be an equivalent to a washed up starter. Just saying. Mm. Uh, the only exception to that, or one of the only exceptions to that, was Mariano Rivera, who, when he steps on the mound or stepped on the mound before he retired, it was like guaranteed save. Good luck trying to get a run off me. Uh, yeah. But he was one of maybe a dozen overall. Uh, anyway, enough about baseball for those listeners that are out there going, I want to talk a little Raptors. We're going to do that. Uh, okay, so the Toronto Raptors were fined $25,000 uh, because they um, didn't uh, appropriately handle their injuries and rest, rest policy with the NBA. Now, the thing here that puzzles me about it is the NBA released a statement at the beginning of the year, and it reads in part, we are going to be lenient, quote-unquote, on what happens with rest days. Our focus is more on primetime games and games that are scheduled on TNT, ABC, and our partners. So that's part of their statement. First of all, what do you make of them being fined because apparently they didn't follow protocol? Cam, start with you. Does this go back to the Kawhi Leonard and him getting a bunch of days off when he was in Toronto? And is this where this all started? Because, like, you look all around the league, whether it's LeBron James or, like, pick any superstar at the end of the day, uh, when those stars are down and are needing rest or taking days off, there's not a peep out of anybody uh, when it comes to that. And then when it's players that, you know, are a level down from the superstars, then all of a sudden it's, oh, you're rusting them too much and this and that. And and the Raptors, I think they're doing it because they're wondering whether or not the Raptors are trying to tank um, to be able to uh, get a better draft pick. And maybe that's the reason why they're doing this, because they know if they put their best players in, that, of course, they're going to try their hardest and compete because that's why you're there is to try to win a ball game. And so maybe that's why the Raptors were doing what they're doing. Like we'll never know, but I just think it's a bunch of BS at the end of the day. 
The whole idea of rest for players really, from what I recall, started with Greg Popovich over in San Antonio. He was the first one that I know of who was getting messages from the league saying, you can't do that. Why are you resting your players on big games? So so I've always thought of this as the Popovich rule. And it's- so it it's... I don't think it's right that they got fined specifically, but I understand it to a degree because people tune into games to watch the superstars. And especially on a year and a half, two years like we've had, where you can't go to the arena to watch the team, you want to see them on television. Having said that, I was pleasantly surprised to see San Antonio get a fine a few days after the Raptors, basically for the same thing. And so I I have a feeling it was kind of like, okay, we'll take our fine, but hey, look over there. (laughs) Yeah, because they are the mastermind. uh, And I agree with you behind this whole resting players and things like that. So I I get it, but I'm just puzzled by the, we're going to be lenient on it. Very quickly uh, to both of you, uh, do you think the Toronto Raptors can get the 10th spot, which then would make them eligible for the play-in tournament? Cam? Yeah, if they go on a run and if they keep their best players in, then why not? We've seen them do it before, um, and they've done it before without you know their best players on the team uh, to go on a run as well. So who says they can't do it this time as well? Depending... Depending on the strength of schedule, I think it's absolutely a chance. Now, whether I like the play-in tournament or not is a whole other matter, but I definitely think they have a shot, and I hope they do it. They do, and those young players, I'm looking at Chris Boucher, uh, Matt Thomas, none of those guys want to lose on this team. They want to put their best foot forward, and I believe that's what they're doing. And to be honest with you, at a full complemented roster, you do not want to face the Toronto Raptors. It is as simple as that, and I don't care who they play. The Toronto Raptors just beat the Brooklyn Nets, and I understand you're going to say, oh, depleted roster. Yes, but they still had good players on that roster, and so you got to give the Toronto Raptors credit where it is deserved, and I don't think that that's where some fans and around the league do that either that is the end of our show for this week i'd like to thank uh, josh watson cam jenkins i'd also like to thank our technical producer matt agnew our technical supervisor is paula denine and our manager of ami audio is andy frank tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone have a great weekend we'll talk to you next week This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.